everybody and welcome to this brand new IT security podcast. Every episode we'll be looking at elements of the SOC or security operations, but also conversations with various different guests looking at other areas within the IT industry. You're listening to SOC Tales. I'm top 9% on TriHackMe and I don't even know how to open a terminal. I was really hesitant when we set up Discord. Tell me about sex and chism. <laughs> the GDPR stuff can be the bane of my existence sometimes. I'm your host, Matt Ford, and welcome to episode five. So for this particular episode, we're chatting to Amir at SOS Intelligence. Uh, we talk a lot about the dark web, uh, what can be uh, what can be found on there, what it's used for, uh, both good and bad. Uh, absolutely some great conversation coming into, uh, into that. Um, we've had a fantastic response to the podcast actually in the first four episodes. So thank you very much to everybody who is downloading uh, and listening. Before we move over to the interview, uh, just uh, a small uh, word of warning. Some of the content that we uh, talk about uh, on the dark web could be particularly sensitive. Uh, We talk a little bit about uh, things like child exploitation and uh, torture, hitmen, that kind of things. Not in any great detail at all, uh, but I appreciate that some of those topics can be uh, rather sensitive. So um, uh, just a a quick warning as we go into, into the interview. Uh, it was great chatting to Amir, and we're uh, we're actually talking about see if we can get him back on at some point as well. So, um, without further ado, here is my interview with Amir at SOS Intelligence. Okay, now we go over to our interview guest. Um, For those of you that have been interested in topics such as the dark web, seems to be a bit of a clandestine area, and I know a lot of people are interested in such a thing. Uh, We have Amir from SOS Intel, uh, and we're going to run through some of the work that uh, he and his company does uh, and talk on some of the uh, more finer points, potentially, of the dark web uh, and see what uh, see what kind of stories we can come up from Amir. So, uh, Amir, welcome to Socktails. Thanks very much, Matt. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, really, an, an honour to be invited. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm Amir. I'm from SOS Intelligence. I'm the founder, CEO of, uh, of the company. Well, uh, welcome aboard. I'm, uh, I'm I'm really grateful that you said yes when I uh, when I pinged you a message on Twitter to get you onto the podcast. So, thank you very much indeed. For those that are not really too familiar with either yourself or uh, what what SOS Intel too, before we get into some of the more juicier parts of dark web conversations, um, are you able to give a little bit of an introduction uh, to yourself and and, and what uh, and what the company does? I, I would love to. Yeah. So we, we're a digital risk monitoring company. We, uh, we specialize in real time, uh, threat intelligence. So we, what we do is we essentially have, uh, have our, uh, fingers in, in many pies and hacking forums and, and, uh, telegram channels and just, just a whole bunch of different sources that we, uh, specialize in the ability to tap into, uh, in an, in an autonomous and continuous way to ingest information into our platform. What we do is we enable, uh, threat intelligence and analysts and SOC teams to get contextual information about, uh, matches that have occurred, um, that are relevant to them. So it could be their company's email domain has flagged up, um, on a breach record or somebody's discussing their company on a 
hacking forum for whatever reason that will uh, give them real real time um, flag as to as to what that conversation is and the actual raw archived content of of what's triggered. Uh, alongside that, we we do the kind of bread and butter uh, crawling and uh, and scraping of of the dark web as well. When we talk about dark web, and there's very there's various different kind of um... Uh, ways in which the dark web has, has been described, the differences kind of between deep web, dark web, and I guess some of those uh, references kind of change depending on who you're speaking to and in which particular job role they have at the time. With the dark web, a lot of it is seen as always bad. You know, we talk about how easy it is to get onto a, a, a marketplace. You know, can you go and buy guns, drugs? Um, hitmen, you know, we all know the story about Silk Road and Ross Albright and, and, and that kind of thing. So uh, also, uh, you know, maybe some of the, the myths surrounding dark yeah. web. I mean, some of the conversations I've had with people, it's not, I know it's not always bad, but what's your, what's your kind of view on or, or your take on what the dark web is used for mainly? Do we see the fake passports, the, the hitmen, that kind of thing? Is that yeah. valid? Is that out there? Yes, I, I guess it depends on which which dark web you're talking about as well. So, the, for, so the vast majority of you know the, the most common referred term everybody thinks about is Tor, right? So, so the Onion Onion routing network and and dark web onions have a have a top level domain extension of dot onion. So that's typically what people can cons- cons- consider as dark web. But there are other dark webs. You've got I2P, which we also look into, but it's nowhere near as big as as Tor is and nowhere near as popular. But yeah, so it's, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. And and in terms of myths, yes, there are markets on there. You can buy drugs, you can buy guns, you can buy co- counterfeit um, currency, but there are vast amounts of just scams so complete scam scam sites scam markets and and also scam sellers or or services it's very difficult to necessarily validate each one because there's a whole bunch of ethical reasons that might uh, you know come to play in, in in that but what we see for the for the signals that we get from our um, infrastructure is that where we tend to find um onion services that have been um multi multi-homed if you will so you've got one website that's across a just a vast array of different onion addresses those tend to be the more suspicious potentially um scammy uh clone type scam markets very likely but yes you can you can well actually on the the topic of hitman um very recently i think in the last week or so somebody in norfolk was arrested for hiring a hitman to kill uh, a a potential lover or somebody she was infatuated with so a lady from 44 year old lady from norfolk and then the only reason why why this caught my attention was that i was scrolling through the bbc news article and saw a screenshot of what i recognized as a dark web forum <laughs> and one of one of the things that she was asking for was was work in norfolk to to essentially to, to to put a hit on somebody and there was there's always been an under there's always been a unanswered kind of implied a suggestion that a vast majority of these services are honey services they're honey pots and 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 you would probably expect that 99% of all the hitman services out there that do exist that advertise on tour you are probably speaking to a law enforcement law enforcement agent at the other end or they are being monitored by law enforcement just as we're monitoring them for for other purposes 
so yeah, you, you, apparently you can put a hit in, but then you get a knock on the door. <laughs> you know, so yeah, you, it's very difficult to discern what's uh, you know what's real or not unless there is a reputation behind a uh, a marketplace, and they typically will be with the with the larger ones where there are uh, there's a whole ecosystem that sprouts around that, um, and you won't get that with with other marketplaces that are scams, and they won't have necessarily the ecosystem of escrow services. And escrow, for, for those who don't know, is is basically payment through through a through a third party source where you basically put money in trust until you confirm that the uh, that you've received the funds, and and typically if there is a market that's scammy, and they also they also advertise their own escrow. The escrow is probably fake itself. Um, so once you've sent those bitcoins across, that's it; it's gone. And and there's there's a whole bunch of uh, those types of scam services with with Bitcoin mixer mixer services, Bitcoin Bitcoin rewards where you basically pay in and they pay two times out. I mean, just you know, think about it. You know, it's <laughs> never going to happen. You put money in, and you're never going to get the money out. Very being a very very likely for those kind of things to be legitimate, but I'm all for people who have bad intentions to lose their money that way. So, you know, <laughs> so keep 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 doing it. You know, I don't care if you want to validate it for me, and you want to try and put a hit on somebody. By all means, get a knock on the door by the NCA. So yeah, I guess it's yeah, it's it's probably a mix, isn't it? You know, it's it's a it's a smaller ecosystem than the internet. It's far more concentrated it's less indexed it's less well understood you you kind of explore the internet typically through google to some certain extent and there isn't there isn't really a foothold type search engine for for uh the dark web although, although there are some like torch which has been around for, for a really long time and it's indexed a, a lot, large majority of, of onion services but uh but yeah they, do, they, do you think it's do, do you think it's fair i mean sometimes when I'm chatting to people with it, and we had my uh, my nephew came in and did some work experience with me last year, and this is one of the things that we were talking about access to the dark web. And my sister was like, "Well, if you show him how to use Tor, is he going to go and see things that he that he shouldn't be seeing?" And, and my kind of answer to that was, "There isn't really any indexing to it. You're very, very unlikely to stumble across something." really nasty it, it's more of a case you're going to have to try and go out and try and find it obviously with with onion addresses it doesn't really give any indication of what it is so if you're clicking random yeah. random links right you, you you're going to get through to get, get through to stuff i would say i would i would urge anybody with caution if they're going to pro- approach browsing tool like that because the likelihood of you landing upon a child abuse site um, they do not hide behind a login screen or age verification. They it will be there. It will be very obvious, and it's horrifying, and it's and it's absolutely disgusting. Um, so the likelihood of you being able to you know click across is probably quite high, and probably by mistake as well. As you said, that the, the onion domains are not very transparent as to what the site is, unless you're unless it's a, a vanity domain, in which case the operators have. Um, have used the basically a brute force method to to generate a a, um, a vanity address that the first or sort of four or five letters will be that of what the service is. So, for example, Facebook, their onion domain starts with Facebook. So, so that it's possible that way. But again, yeah, the child abuse type stuff is 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 it, it it's it, it's extremely prevalent and it's hosted behind, as I said, those kind of clone multi homed onion addresses so navigating around it can be a bit of a minefield and and the uh, and tour or at least yeah talk has that feel of the very early 90s internet where you're where you're kind of navigating through 
topic lists like Yahoo used to have. I don't know if you remember, like it'll be like archery and fishing and then like computers. I, I am that old to remember yeah. Yahoo, yeah. <laughs> so uh so that that has it has that feel of it. But there are, as I said, there are established search engines like Torch um that um that do index the dark web. Um but it's also very you know, it's also very transient. I guess that's another thing to point. It's 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 slow and transient. So sites that are up or were up last week aren't up anymore, and then may never return or return. You know, in a few days' time or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. So you you have the more. I'm going to use the word nefarious. I mean, it's clearly a lot stronger than that. But you have that really dark side to to it with the content that you just kind of mentioned there. Um, things like the, the the hitmen and the guns. My expectation, as you say, they, most of those are going to be kind of honeypots type environments because that's the more serious crime. I can imagine the FBI or law enforcement either kind of owning those sites or having those as, as, a, as a honeypot. On the the, the 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 kind of lower scale of the criminality aspect is things that uh, where data's maybe been um, brought in from breaches, so credit card information from phishing, you know that kind of data that, that that's out there. I see that for sale on on breach forums all the time, breach IO yeah. or, or, or whatever kind of level domain they're using because it keeps getting shut down. Those kind of uh, sites, that data again seems quite prevalent, and, and we as a security industry are always told that if your credit card gets gets cloned, it's going to be for sale, ten dollars, and you can buy a hundred that have all got ten thousand credit on them or whatever. How accurate is that? Are those again going to be honeypots, or is that kind of data more prevalent? And, and, and I guess what we're told is that more accurate. Yeah. So, so there's absolutely carding markets out there that are legitimate and credible. Um, there are a vast majority of them that are scams. Now, whether they're honeypots, I can't, I can't say or not. Obviously, it's really difficult to validate unless you've, uh, you know, unless you've had that knock on the door or have 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 lost your money. Um, and we're not about to go around, you know paying thousands of, of dollars just to test a service out that's that's not what we do as a, as a business but you know in terms of um we, did, we actually did a bit of research to see you know what are the average prices out there um and see how much you know for a thousand dollars how much would it cost to to buy in terms of you know real counterfeit currency and and the prices do do vary greatly and it and, and it depends on what you know what site you go to to actually to actually buy stuff from um and obviously we, we kind of assumed that we filtered out we filtered out the most obviously potential scam sites but and took the ones that we believe to be credible services obviously but even with that it's it's difficult to absolutely guarantee that that you're not going to get scammed but yeah i mean in terms of you know counterfeit money for, for you know for a thousand dollars you're looking at about just under four hundred dollars for 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 a thousand dollars worth of counterfeit uh, money, so it's it's probably less than half that of the value of of uh, of the counterfeit funds, which um, which can make it kind of attractive because you're kind of doubling your doubling your money almost uh, almost straight away. That is obviously unless you unless you get scammed or the money then gets you know caught in the transaction or whatever. But yeah, I mean you know money the, the price of things on on the dark web varies varies great greatly and. And, and the higher end of the of the of the services are are the initial access type services, so the the paid for insiders, so who somebody who's in the company and is disgruntled and wants to offer their services to access access an organization, or if there are known valid credentials to an organization through RDP or VPN or something like that, 
those can kind of go around um, the kind of $8,000 mark uh, for, for those. But that, again, varies greatly depending on who's the seller and what the access type is, potentially even what the what the organization is that's being breached. From I know we talk a lot about the negative side or the, the, the darker side. And I guess this is a little bit of a two-part question because there's also a more positive side for, from my understanding of that dark web in the fact that it's, a, it's enabling people that are in environments where it's not too easy to share information, journalists that may be within uh, war zones uh, or in countries with a notable firewall. But there's also that aspect in there for whistleblowers, journalists to try and share that kind of information. So that's also a positive side. So it'd be interesting to get your take on that. But then the other part of that question would be exactly how anonymous is your access? I've seen people talk about in great detail how you need to be able to only access Tor via uh, tails on a USB key, make sure it's encrypted, stick it into a VM. I've even heard people about having uh, kind of like Faraday cages around their room to stop people, yeah. you know, the feds outside trying to figure yeah. out what they're typing in there. So we've got that positive side. But again, how anonymous are you when you're accessing these kind of services on the on the dark web? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really difficult to answer that question because it depends entirely on what, what a what the person's doing and how they're doing it. Um, so in terms of how Tor works functionally, it is pretty anonymous. So, so the way that it works is that your Tor, your Tor client, Tor, Tor router at your end establishes um, a layered chain of encryption uh, between yourself and a, and a set of up to three or four different routers. Um, so if you kind of think of it as an analogy, if you were to send or receive a message. So let's say you put a letter inside an envelope. It's basically an envelope inside an envelope inside an envelope inside an envelope. And when you pass each envelope down the chain of routers, that router next to you knows where it's come from. And then it opens up that envelope and knows where the next envelope needs to go to. And then it passes it on and passes it on. So anyone apart from the start and the finish don't know where the source is and where the destination is that that message is going because they can only see the 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 address of the layer that they're opening in terms of the in terms of that envelope and that's why it's called onion routing because it's unpeeling back the onions of that of that uh, message and eventually if your message hits a internal onion service it had it would have never left the tor network so it would have you know if if you're not hitting a, an internet web address you're never going to go through an exit node so in that respect, it's 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 encrypted end to end, and the network itself shouldn't know where the message has come from, where the message is going to. And then it all then boils down to you know operational security of your browser. You know if you're using Tails and you've got you know routing only from within within that default route down the Tor router, and nothing else. I've seen in the past where uh, law enforcement has used various tricks like opening a web socket within the browser to get a out of band connection out which then negates the sock the socks reverse proxy through through the browser and, and goes out through the internet so you can get a callback essentially from a whole bunch of clients that have hit at all website of their real web address so that's why you, you kind of need to make sure if you are browsing tour and you're doing something that you need to preserve your anonymity that all of that traffic goes through one point that that your session doesn't store to cookies and that you can kind of just get rid of it and burn it. Every time you use it, you, you start afresh. So you've got that USB live image, which is a really good idea. But then you have obviously the the, the point of whatever connection you're using, your ISP knowing that you're pushing Tor traffic out 
Um, and it depends how how serious is that, how much of a concern is that from a government spying on you. So if you are in one of those in those countries, it's very likely that the government actually knows that you're using Tor because they can see your 3G, 4G connection tunneling that SOX traffic out to a Tor node. They might not be able to see what you're doing, but they they can build a picture of basically everybody who's using it potentially and and which subscriber number that is. So there's there's a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm not going to kind of like detail every single thing that you could do because it might enable crime potentially or but uh it, it's yeah it's to, to i guess to answer the question it's it it, it is it is to to a good degree anonymous so long as you preserve and uh, maintain your operational security depending on what you're doing and obviously you can only be anonymous as much as you're transacting with untraceable cryptocurrency and you're not using your real name and your real identity mm-hmm. to ship something to because as soon as you do that then that's it you know all of that opsec and all of that router magic and all that lockdown stuff is all gone out of the door because that's it. You've just identified yourself from that session. So yes, I mean, law enforcement, it's a cat and mouse game, right? They've got, they use tricks and methods and techniques to, to, to exploit certain or having have done so in the past, exploit certain weaknesses within the Firefox browser that might be an embedded, you know, tool browser to, to de-anonymize users and, and you would expect a vast majority of tool exit nodes to be tapped by intelligence agencies. Um, it just makes sense, right? And potentially internal routers as well to be to be uh, logged and tapped. Yeah, so I, I guess it's a it's a big picture that law enforcement would have to to kind of put together the the, the whole kind of analogy about being a jigsaw and and all those parts. I've I've heard stories about as you say something within the browser. Um, I think I remember something along the lines of uh, some kind of Adobe update. Was done out of bound, uh, done out, uh, out of band, and managed to, to to leak some information or some internal yeah. information regarding the the, the end users. Uh, I mean, there must be a huge number of users within Tor. The law enforcement, I guess, have only got so many resources in there, so they're going to obviously kind of concentrate their time. And, and as you say, I would expect the majority of the exit nodes to be monitored. Yeah, in, in in some way from from some kind of in law enforcement, you know, depending on on where they are within within the world. So when we look at some of the malicious activity and some of the monitoring that that you and your and, and your company are, are doing there, you know, I've seen some of the uh, the tweets that you've put out. Uh, absolutely, I shall link through to your Twitter. Uh, it's a great source of information for everybody out there to go and follow. But things like the phishing, I've seen a lot of times when you are actively picking up phished credentials from the web. It, it, how much of that is, you know, what you do as a business? I mean, there's obviously other parts of that, but how do you go about doing that? Because from my limited understanding, there's a there's a link. People click to a link. They 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 put in their credentials, and and that's it. How are you looking at pulling that information off and being able to use that to report and inform? Your, your clients and and and, uh, and companies and customers that are out there. Yeah, so I mean that, that, that's a really that's the kind of key part. I guess the, the biggest part of our business is is that early alerting and preventing that kill chain as early as possible to inform of credential loss. The, the way that we go about doing that is um, is honestly it's it's, it's quite a, a boring librarian job. It's it's a it's a it's a case of collecting as many fish kit samples as you can and we've developed a library over the years of 
of monitoring fishing and then pulling kits where we can um, from from websites uh, and then doing analysis on those kits because typically they they are they are one or two uh, pages one HTML page one PHP page some of them can be a bit complex some of them have um, uh, bot bot detection and ban law ban detection and things like that so if you go on it and it's and you're on their ban IP list they'll redirect you to office 365 office 365 or something like that but typically in the main they are just one PHP page and and some HTML and what what's inside there is typically a mail to function to send over the credentials to the operator and in some cases it's also a, a function to write the credentials to file. And what we do is we look for all the kits where that's the case, and we extract all the locations of where those files are that are being written to. And then we use a bit of taxonomy to kind of add add a family, uh, for, uh, like a you know a genealogy of which kit does what and how their paths look, so that when we use third-party integration services that monitor fish kits live, so like we don't monitor fishing in real time, right? We just don't have the capability, or that's not that's not our area of strength. But we tap into services that do, and we then look for those kits that are active, and we then interrogate those paths and locations for credentials. So that's kind of that's basically what we do. So so if somebody starts doing a bit of fishing, that then pings up on the fishing monitoring services, and um, we then see that that's a live kit, and we start pulling in those credentials. And in, and in terms of the, the the loot or the the credential logs that we get, the, the amount can vary greatly from like ten to fifteen to, to to hundreds of credentials, depending on how popular or how well distributed that kit is that or that individual fishing campaign has been. Yeah, so we, we again within the industry, within within the security industry, we talk a lot about phishing being the main uh, kind of attack vector, the main way into these um, to, to businesses. As soon as you've got some credentials, you can then start trying uh, their VPN connection or any of their kind of open IDP and and, and that kind of thing in in there. Would you still say that you know with monitoring the phishing side of things, that is still the number one way in which breaches are happening? is phishing and getting those credentials in order to, to to be able to log in and get inside a business? I mean, from, from what we're seeing, phishing is still one of the most common ways of, of initial access. You've got phishing and then you've got mix, misconfigured external services or, or or vulnerable external services. Phishing tends to be tends to be one of the, one of the most popular and and we have evidence to prove that alerting is effective because for, for those that, that get our alerts that are our customers, they're able to remediate within minutes. Um, and those that aren't our customers, but we still like to inform as goodwill, it's up to them to trust us or, or actually action what we tell them because they may think that we're phishing them, uh, ironically. And we, we've we actually become we've become the target of their phishing within 24 hours of, of notification, which means that it's it's a it's a matter of a day or so before those credentials are triaged and uh, validated, and then something's done about them. And I'm talking about from the from the cyber criminals' perspective. So they they validated that these that these are real credentials, and they give a access to this company, and then they put some value to them and potentially resell them or, or action them. Uh, and then I guess it's, in this case, it was to perpetuate the phishing um, through the contact list and, and that in that victim's account. 
we can inform where we can whether the whether the activities occurred uh, in real time or it's a historic thing. So it's a it's a breach database that we're ingesting that has happened at some point, but the reach data has only become available recently. And and quoting you know breached or any one of those kind of sources that 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 kind of sell or or distribute those types of locations. We use our own platform to 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 detect the sharing of breach information as well. So we kind of have feedback loops within the system to to find where breaches are being shared because we know the types of sharing services that that these guys use um, to share that information with. And it kind of pings up on our platform to say, hey, this could be potentially a database that you need to ingest. And then we'd, we'd kind of curate that from a whether it's appropriate or not for us to pull in. Yeah, it's interesting what you say there about, you know, sometimes you will inform somebody out of goodwill and that they'll almost kind of start pointing the finger at you. I mean, we see that a lot with things like responsible disclosure and, yeah. you know, bug bounties and that kind of thing. And and then they start suddenly pointing the finger and, and firing the computer misuse act at you because of because of something that you've done. Um, I also noticed with on, uh, within uh, social media, and I think you mentioned it on the website as well, is about some of the services that you offer for, for things like educational non-profit establishments as well. We see a lot of um, educational uh, services get hit. I know Vice Society is one of the big ones that actively goes out and, and targets them uh, in the UK as well as in, as well as in the US. Um, but this is something that you're offering to to educational nonprofit for uh, uh, free of charge, free for a period of time. Right? Yeah, that's right. So you've got a, a six month free uh, free plan, um, and then after that, it's a it's at a very reasonable very reasonable price uh, with a discount as well for for an annual subscription. And and the reason for that is that we we just see we just see a lot of nonprofit breaches, and and it's and it's specifically that kind of overlap where where it's a company that probably doesn't have the budgets to spend on on the likes of our competition shall we say and uh and we we you know we you know we feel that it's our it's our ethical duty to to do something about that um so that's why we we launched that plan so that at least if they are our customer the notification will go to somebody who expects to receive something from us uh because they would have been set up on the platform and 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 know to get our alerts and and that way we we may be far more successful in preventing them from essentially ending up on on a vice society blog update uh it'd be great if we you know if we could if we could uh do that and and validate that that way but yeah it's it's i mean it, it's horrendous to see these groups who specialize in particular verticals and just go after you know schools and education because there's there's been a few that have been on fire society that have been close to me in terms of you know relatives and family that have been impacted by that and it can be quite distressing for for the school and the school administration because it reveals a lot of personal information um, potentially about about their students uh, in some cases there's been cctv in the data breach dump which obviously shows pupils and staff and, and various things and then you've got you know like write-ups and reports that are confidential about disciplinary reaction whatever that might be going on with with their students or staff and, and things like that it's just like stuff that just so is so not necessary to be to be leaked but these guys they do it because that's how they believe they're effective in that double extortion yeah and as you say some of that content some of that data i mean i was just about to say as a parent it it doesn't it it doesn't even matter as a parent just the understanding of some of that data that's out there um i I know on some of those breaches within via society there's been data specifically related to vulnerable children as well so not just the cctv side of things not just 
the financial aspect of of that or you know little billy's grades have been released or whatever it may be um it, it's really a, a, a children's a child safeguarding issue as well to make Absolutely. sure that, that, that we've got some controls in place for that and there are there is some it, there is a little bit of kind of honor amongst thieves with some of the ransomware groups i think there was one recently was it it may have been lockbit started talking about one of their affiliates hit a particular target and uh, it was a was it medical or i can't remember exactly what it was now but they basically turned around and went look our affiliate shouldn't have done this here's a decryption key go off and you know this isn't this is not us so yeah. there is that that a little bit of, of honor amongst thieves against some of the ransomware groups and some just don't care right they'll just yeah. go off and, and and try and make some of the money out 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 from that and i myself have seen some information on breached io that were directly related to a friend of mine for for some data that was stolen from a um a a, a car dealership uh, and it had all the details about their address and the car and their services and everything else it was just pii thankfully but still some of the information there and still something that we could see Alongside the, the phishing information that, that you're picking up, they, you also mentioned um, you know other kind of data, you know companies that may be targeted. Another area of what we're seeing, again, is this fairly prevalent? Do you normally see these conversations of big companies or companies that are being targeted, people asking for particular information uh, or asking for, for companies to go off and be hacked? Again, is that a lot of the information that you're seeing out there within within these dark web forums? Uh, it it certainly makes up a percentage of it. I wouldn't say it's a lot, but it, but there's definitely there are definitely topics out there of threat actors um, claiming access to certain organisations or people offering one one way or another, either offering access or offering to pay to, for access. Uh, so that certainly does happen, and we've we've seen it with our customers where we've picked up certain certain chatter or certain information just ends up on on a paste in a list of other sites or other domains and you kind of have to unwrap the context about what that is and what that means so so being able to inspect or tap into in real time every single post and thread that occurs on just a vast majority of forums is is extremely beneficial from monitoring that kind of adversary communication aspect of things um because what you what you'd hope not is that is is not to see that, but if if it does, and and there's a thread that relates to your company, you're obviously going to be able to to react a lot quicker than than not knowing, and then it's then it's too late or you've been breached. So it, it definitely helps uh, having that awareness. Yeah, I was I was going to say, you know, some of the threat intel that we see that socks are, are ingesting, it's going to be your IOCs. Here's a hash for a, a particular malware family or a particular malware campaign. Um, and some of the threat intel platforms out there are extremely good at being able to collate and offer a lot of that, a lot of that information out there. But some of the conversations I've had with customers when they kind of talk about dark web monitoring, I think they kind of shrug their shoulders a little bit and they're, they're kind of like, well, we don't, we don't really know what's there. So we don't really understand where we can put that kind of threat intel yeah. budget in into that. Um, but it sounds like it's a, a, a quite a significant uh, benefit to, to to what the soccer are, are seeing. I think historically people have gone, oh, well, if it's on the breach forum, then it's already happened. We already know about it. They've already had their IR teams involved. Um, they've decided not to pay up or whatever, and it's gone on. And, and it's almost kind of like after the fact. But it sounds like the, the information that you're able to pick up there is incredibly kind of proactive with 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 giving the 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 the, the businesses a, a proper kind of heads up to to what's likely to happen or whether they're being targeted on something. 
Uh, that's right. And I think I think it's the it's the immediacy of the information that's important. Having access to it in, in real time is is definitely helpful from a from an incident uh, and triage point of view. But also the, the value that we add is is that of you know how many people do you really have to employ to, to sit there pressing F5 all day on, on loads of forums, you know, and, and we we automate that collection side of, of the intelligence lifecycle. So we take that take that problem away. And, and this is more talking to the more mature kind of uh, organizations with with dedicated threat intelligence teams where they can they can you know put in a bunch of keywords in that they want to monitor uh, specific to their organization's infrastructure or firewall technology and to see what may be being discussed. Uh, so for example, a brand of firewall plus exploit or plus vulnerability um, could could unravel some chatter about somebody that's found that, you know, something like that. We also tap into, you know, discussions about CVEs. So we, we publish a free CVE top 10 blog on our, on our website automatically every week. And that's just uh, all the CVE chatter gathered, aggregated from all of the feeds that we that we um, pull in from. So across the dark web, Telegram, and and all the awesome feeds, and looks to see you know if it's a discussion about potentially building a proof of concept or exploit or functional exploit code, and that's that's quite helpful. And at the moment, there's probably no surprise that the ESX one is is the is the most uh, talked about, and it's number one on the list at the moment. But it it could be you know it could be a helpful crop. Uh, you know, overlap across potentially impacted systems within an organization to say, look, somebody somebody on XSS is talking about this um, and we've got this technology. Um, we might want to do something about it. You know, we, we run Gyra XYZ, so we should probably, you know, look to look to patch it because they're working on a vulnerability or, or they're talking about validating a proof of concept on this forum. And here's the actual post that, that, that SOS has pulled in, for example. That's kind of... How, how we, how we yeah, we, we see a lot of the, the the vulnerabilities that are out there. You mentioned CVEs and, and that kind of thing. It, it seems to come in peaks and troughs. There seems to be a flavor of the month, whether that be the solar winds, whether it be the log, log forge, log forge A, whichever camp you're yeah. in on pronunciation. Um, it, now with the ESXi stuff that you were talking about as well, there, there always seems to be something there's always going to be something there that's slightly new whether you want to call it an o day or, or whatever else but there's always going to be something there that is going to be part of that conversation that we as on the defensive side need to be able to think about need to be able to mitigate need to be able to do that risk assessment which is which is a great way of of bringing that information into a sock i think and as part of the threat intel do you see the ransomware groups that are, that are out there, do you see a, a commonality in the way in which they uh, have their tactics and, and, and techniques, the ways in which they uh, actually perform some of these uh, attacks? Are they always looking for the, for the, the brightest and, and newest vulnerabilities or are they still following Kevin Mitnick's demos and, and looking at the MSO8 vulnerability yeah. on Windows XP machines yeah. or somewhere in between? Are you seeing a kind of... A, 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 a trait of, yeah. for, for some of these groups so they're all really separate and individual in, in how they deal with it so uh, so the, the really really big groups uh like lockbit and um x conti and, and hive and, and they 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 are formed of various layers and affiliates so you what you what you'll typically have is just a, a large amount of disparate groups who affiliate into lockbit who would be doing the initial access and their techniques and 
tactics and and and, and procedures vary can vary greatly. But the, for the for the most part, they're not necessarily all hunting for the same zero day and all the hunting for a zero day as as a method of access. They are they are looking for the lowest hanging fruit. Um, and what we saw in the kind of October twenty twenty or, or earlier was the was the use of the um, exchange. Uh, vulnerability and exploitation and that that impacted a vast amount of organizations um and and there was a bit of a delay in as much as the uptake of that for ransomware so you could kind of potentially see some probing and exploitation and then the initial access groups actually jumping on that and and and, and actually exploiting that for for their use so i guess it varies i mean i guess you know if there, if there's something that they can use that they can spray across the internet they will um, to, to maximize yield um, but for the vast majority of it it is it is down to the kind of reconnaissance and phishing and sending somebody a malicious spreadsheet with a macro on it in it you know and, and, that, and that kind of stuff that we see pretty much every every day um, that's that's the kind of bread and butter of their work a bit, probably a difficult kind of question to answer with with kind of specific numbers or percentages but when the, the ransomware groups are operating, do we see specific targeted attacks? Are we are we seeing ransomware groups go, this is a really juicy target? Because certainly those of us within the IT security industry who are um, selling products that help prevent and detect some of this are going to be a juicy target because you hit one of those and, and, and there's a re- big reputation hit as well. Or do we still find that scatter approach It is the low-hanging fruit and they'll just kind of take what they can get and if they can get few hundred thousand out, out of them from, from Bitcoin, that's great. They just go on and do their their, their thing. Do you see a kind of a, a swing one way or the other with those kind of uh, uh, techniques and, and tactics? I mean, I, I think honestly that the vast majority are going to be opportunistic. Um, and 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 I think that's that's that tends to be the the, the general boardroom question, uh, and it may come from the an organisational ego of saying, oh, we must have been targeted, you know, because we're special. Probably not, you know, you just happen to have exposed um, an RDP, a vulnerable RDP uh, instance to the internet, um, and somebody brute forced that login and got in or whatever that service may have been, or you know, John from you know marketing uh, got uh, got hit with a or somebody you know dave from hr got got a very convincing um golf invitation to, to a golf trip or something like that and 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 fell for it and then put their corporate credentials in and then got spammed with mfa prompts until they got so fed up they they said yes because it made it made the prompts go away yeah <laughs> you know so so that's um that's probably the vast majority of them are some companies targeted very likely yeah that's but i'd say it's, it's, it's a small smaller percentage and and i think it's probably because the the just like sales, the 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 baddies are probably approaching it as a numbers game as well. So the the wider they cast the net, the more probable the numbers are going to be, rather than them kind of sitting in a boardroom, if you will, somewhere and going, right, okay, you know, which company shall we target now? Let's target whatever name. And then they kind of go, you know, to pull all their might and effort in and all of their all of their hackers go off and start, you know directory enumeration and, and and subdomain enumeration for every single host that might exist on that network or whatever. Um, I don't think that happens uh, as much or, or it's very rare that they probably go after somebody. So it's, uh, it's more likely that if they do, if they are targeting a company, it's probably post breach. So somebody got popped and then that draws attention to 
any number of 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 of, of cybercrime groups and possibly individual hackers who might want to see actually well what do they we know that they're vulnerable what else have they left open <laughs> you know that that potentially that the the original initial access um didn't you know didn't spot so that's 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 possible that's probably more more uh, more likely than than uh, than than it's kind of so you know assigning up a a, a name on a, tar- on a on a on a board and then hitting it hitting them with a with a dart or something like that yeah, it's interesting what you said about the MFA tokens. I was speaking to a SOC manager recently, actually, and they did this as part of their red teaming, blue teaming, purple teaming, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. And uh, he, he looked at me and he was like, do you know how many people just got fed up with all these messages that come through and hit yes, 100% of them? How many of them then alerted the IT team or the SOC team that this has happened? None of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we talk a lot about uh, with you know, with with two FA or, or or MFA options in there as well. Uh, but there are ways in which that can be um, potentially used against them as uh, as well. And yeah. some of the, the the ransomware groups as well that we see, um, and I think maybe potentially a little bit more prevalent with the recent um, hostilities between uh, Russia and, and Ukraine, is we're seeing a lot of ransomware groups actively having a pop at each other as well again is that something that you're seeing a lot of or is that something that we're just kind of seeing in the media as it as it pops up and 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 we get one or two stories from it uh no no there is there is a lot of there's a lot of drama going on (laughs) there's a lot of crossover fighting um there's a lot of noise that goes on in telegram channels uh with various groups attacking each other's countries infrastructure there's also some infighting that goes on within groups and ideological breakdowns potentially uh, and then you see them split and and diversify um yeah it does it does it does happen uh, the vast vast majority of it is non persistent type attacks they tend to be just denial of service um and and and, it, and then it moves on in the last sort of, I guess, in the last year or so, and possibly longer, there has been a ramp up of a tit for tat, or either side against Russia and, and Europe, Russia against the world, almost, of uh, Russian services being breached, and then certain NATO country services, services or companies, you know, being targeted and breached, and uh, and that's definitely made the threat intelligence space very busy tracking all of that and all of that all of that uh, work and and groups and actors tend to pop up overnight you know it, it, it can it can happen very quickly so they'll 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 pop up almost overnight announce something announce a victim and then maybe disappear so so yeah it's it's uh, it's a very fluid dynamic do, do you think we're seeing more of these groups targeting this almost as an act of war I, I don't want to be too flippant about this because it, it's an incredibly serious um uh, topic uh, and one that i don't have a huge amount of experience with from 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 a, a military perspective but are we seeing more of a of a, a war being fought from the cyber side of things i remember hearing stories at the start of um the, the hostilities in in ukraine with um, I think it was a, a, a railway system in, in Belarus that got hacked and they, they just turned all the signals off because Russia were using that rail network in order to, to deliver um, military equipment into the, into the Ukraine region. So are we seeing that as a, a military tactic a, a lot more now rather than – because we all, always hear about ransomware because it's about money. But are we seeing more of that from a military tactics perspective, do you think? 
I mean, I think it's very difficult to to have absolute attribution to say it was the GRU or it was a, a Russian um, state sponsored, or state promoted, or state backed thing. I think that's that, that's probably probably burning effort to try and verify that. But yeah, absolutely, there there has been either side uh, activity specifically in relation to um the invasion of ukraine um and and there have been companies who have supported ukraine who've then been targeted who've been public about saying we are supporting ukraine we are sending xyz or we're doing this and that for for the ukraine anybody who had done that publicly had made themselves potentially a target of any russian affiliated or ideologically affiliated groups who may not necessarily be in russia but may support the invasion for whatever reason and and they would have then seen some retribution what that was and and how that turned out depending depends entirely on who it was that was targeting them as i said for the most part it has just been non-persistent type denial of service that has been uh kind of fleeting and it, and, and it, they kind of move on and then move on to the next target from a, uh, we'll move on from talking about the war. <laughs> don't, sure. we, and don't mention at, the war. At, don't mention the war. <laughs> yeah, for those of us of a certain age, um, I think it, he was talking about bringing Faulty Towers back, wasn't he? Really? Uh, this week. Yeah, I'm not sure how well it's gone down. I think it was of its time. I think yeah. we'll, we'll we'll leave it at that. Be- before we get on, and I'm, I'm conscious we're getting towards the end of the podcast, and and I did ask for the for the for sock's sake, which we'll come I'll come yeah. on to. But before we get to that, is there anything really in the time that you've spent with doing this this research and this monitoring on the dark web, um, other than some of the things that we've, we've spoken about already, is there anything that kind of really stands out as being something that's really shocked you, really surprised you, either in a positive or, or, or negative way that, that you've seen that you weren't quite expecting as you as you kind of moved into doing this work as, yeah. as, as part of SOS Intel? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's there's quite a lot of funny and interesting things on the dark web. Probably my, my most my most memorable, funny, weird, surreal kind of onion website is it starts off with B O O T, and then it's that random kind of onion address. It's just boots, and it's just a picture of a boot. Uh, you know, it's a boot and a chair, and that's it in a room. And you kind of think, okay, well, what what is that? I don't know. There's there's lots of random lich art and and really kind of funky art kind of and I, I really like lich art and that kind of stuff so that that was interesting one of our one of the things that we do is we we screenshot uh onion websites on mass and in, 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 in an industrial level and one of the things that and the way that we do that where where it's not illegal is that we don't actually render images when we do it so we so our 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 um rendering engine excludes images but renders the web page minus any content of that I read this image. So so it's a great way for somebody to be able to browse sites and get a thumbnail of a site without actually potentially exposing themselves to to abuse content. But if you don't turn that on, um you can obviously see images and, and random things. And some of the some of the more kind of sinister, potentially sinister are red rooms. And 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 these are what we believe to be what we very much hope to be just scams. Um but but what they are potentially purporting to be would be um, uh, access for a time for a very specific time of where you could view somebody being tortured potentially or, or even, even worse so you would wow. basically pay to get access and it's believed to be that you could interact and, 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 and you know it's quite it's quite graphic obviously there's no way we're going to validate that is this this ethically and psychologically yeah. <laughs> there's there's no way I would want to 
to, yeah. to pay for something and then actually see and it's real and then and then know that i've paid towards somebody being tortured you but we are we we hope and from what we can see as i said the signals that we get from our crawlers is that these are very likely just to be scams just like the hitman stuff you know it's there's this there's thousands thousands and thousands of them all the same site behind just you know hundreds of thousands of uh of onions that that go back to the same location and that's probably just to kind of cast the net as wide as you can to try and get yeah. suckers in to 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 pay so yeah so that's kind of probably the more memorable stuff of the sinister stuff and and the the lesser sinister stuff you know there's there's cat pictures people's personal <laughs> always, blogs always yeah. cat pictures on always internet, cat pictures regardless. yeah yeah there's cat pictures on on dark web as well you know people's personal blogs and as i said you know boot is probably the one i remember the most i don't think it's alive anymore because it was a v2 it was a V2 Onion, which is the the shorter name. V2 got phased out, I think, last year or a year before that. Um, so, so you you can't browse to it with uh, with with like the Tor browser, but we can still like we still can route to it across our network. So, yeah, in- interesting. Then I mean, I know we talk about the darker side of it, of course, and some of the topics that we've we've touched on there are are particularly dark, but also interesting that we've still got the lighter side of it, and we've still got Grumpy Cat. Or yeah, or the or the boots and the chairs that that, that, that we've got out there, which is uh, which is great. So, um, look, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now, Amir. So, really, thank you very much for your time. Um, I'm sure you're aware because we we mentioned this as part of our prep call recently. But the the for socks sake section where we look at something that would be you know part of your experience maybe that something's gone horribly wrong or you know something that you've seen that has has pretty much just made you stand there and shout oh for fuck's sake um have have you got anything for us on on that one to 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 finish off uh, finish off the podcast yeah i I think so i think so um it was very it was in the very early days of setting up the company i had done i'd worked maybe two nights in a row or three nights in a row overnight trying to develop deliver some updates and optimizations to our dark web crawler engine and something happened something locked up and i was about to take a snapshot of it didn't actually save the code didn't commit it to git or anything like that i i accidentally terminated the instance instead of shutting it down um and obviously when you do that in in aws i'm sure you know it says do you want to terminate the instance and you're like yes but because i've been so tired and so overworked i just said yes you know obviously i want to i want this this instance shut down but terminate i lost like i lost like three days worth of work um which was just like i couldn't i had i had my (laughs) head in my hands and then i called um i called the co-director and i was like you just won't believe what i've just done and uh and yeah, I uh, yeah, I had a, had a good good man cry for for a <laughs> for a good five or six hours, and I thought, right, I need to I need to sort this out. But what ended up happening was that the second attempt to rework all the code, it was almost like muscle memory, and I had solved in my head some of the challenges that I couldn't solve doing the it the first time. If you know what I mean, so the second time was even better. And it took me less time because I'd already done it once. So it was really weird. And and I was I was quite happy with myself in the end. So and then from then on, like it was like, right, snapshot everything, commit everything, double back up everything, and and you know, make sure that it's in three locations and you can recover, you know, two different ways or something like that. So that was a really good, <laughs> good yeah. wake up session. But yeah, that's definitely 
definitely made me say for for socks sake. A, yeah, it's uh, it it's great that you, it it worked out better towards the end. But yeah, once you've been burned once, um, as you say, it's yeah. uh, it's it's double checking, triple checking everything. Um, exactly hit, hitting save uh, after every word that you've typed yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've been there been there and done that look amir look it's been fantastic talking to you thank you so pleasure. much uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you yeah, thank you so much thank you for inviting me it's been a pleasure